Hello, and welcome to the Homeschool Sanity Show, your prescription for happier, healthier homeschooling. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschooling mother of six. Let's get started. Hey, homeschoolers. Today we're going to talk about how to parent as a Christian homeschooler. We are spending more time than ever parenting as we shelter in place. There's nothing like a quarantine to show you what needs your attention. Before we jump in and I introduce my guest, I want to tell you about great homeschool conventions online, April 16th to the 18th. VIP access is free. You'll have access to two popular parenting sessions from me, How to Outwit, Outthink, and Outlast the Strong-Willed Homeschooler, and How to Negotiate Sibling Conflict Like an FBI Pro. Both of these sessions are going to be especially helpful to you when you're staying home full-time. To register, go to greathomeschoolconventions.com. Now let's talk about parenting with my guest, Israel Wayne. Israel has a podcast on this network, but we hadn't met until we both attended a BJU press conference. We got to talking about parenting and realized that we share similar views. Israel desires to point parents to raise their children with a biblical worldview. As a nationally known speaker and author, he captivates audiences with enthusiasm for bringing the Word of God to bear on all aspects of life. His messages, from education to theology to current events, take him across the country to challenge and encourage families. As the pandemic has left him unable to speak at in-person conferences, I'm thrilled to be able to chat with him on the podcast. Israel, thank you so much for joining me here on the Homeschool Sanity Show. I am very happy to have a fellow member of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network with me. And I want to begin, as I do with all of my guests, by having you tell us more about you and your family and also why you chose to begin homeschooling. Well, homeschooling wasn't really something that I chose. Homeschooling was something I was born into. Um, My family started homeschooling back in 1978. Uh, My mom started homeschooling my older sister, Sony, uh, when she had been in public kindergarten for about a month. Um, She was five at the time, and I was three. And my mom ended up having a bad experience with the local public school, took her out, started teaching her, well, continued teaching her at home because actually she had homeschooled her up until she was five years old. But my mom didn't realize that when she took my sister out of school that there were these things called compulsory attendance laws. And so we ended up uh, having to go to court and it became a big deal because homeschooling was against the law back in 1978. Um, And so we ended up um, homeschooling kind of, long story, but under the radar Uh, for most of those years. In fact, I graduated from homeschooling in 1991, and uh, the homeschooling did not become legal in the state in which we lived until 1992. So our entire homeschool experience was uh, underground, so to speak, 
1988, my mom started publishing a national homeschooling magazine uh, that became the nation's longest-running Christian homeschool publication. And so my mom was really one of the pioneers and founders of the homeschooling movement, and she, um, through her magazine, helped to launch a lot of the speakers and writers of the 1980s, 90s, 2000s, and, on, and beyond, um, giving them a platform and helping people to discover them um, back in especially the 80s and 90s. Um, well, in the early 2000s, magazines were really uh, about the only central hub or, or place that people could get information on homeschooling on a national level because there wasn't uh, podcasts and you know, the, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet. Um, and so uh, I was homeschooled. My wife's family um, started homeschooling. and we, we were homeschooled mostly in Maryland, um, and then I, I graduated in Texas, but um, my wife's family started homeschooling out in Arizona in 1983. They heard Dr. Raymond Moore on Focus on the Family in 1983 and started homeschooling. Um, my wife's mom became one of the founding members of AFI, the State Homeschool Association out there, and um, founded a, a large homeschool support group called Eastside Explorers. And um, my, my wife, um, at that time as a teenager, when she became a teenager, she started publishing a magazine for young ladies and uh, we met through our publishing businesses. I was working for Homeschool Digest, and she was working uh, publishing her, her magazine. And so uh, we met uh, eventually, long story, but we got married. And it was, it was just a foregone conclusion that we would homeschool. I mean, for us, it, it was, there was no other consideration on the table. It was like, you know, what else would we do? Um, and I think for us, homeschooling has been a far more natural experience with us both, both being homeschooled from the beginning. Uh, it was not a foreign idea and we didn't have a lot of um, unschooling that we had to do in our minds. We, we really had a very different educational paradigm. Um, so yeah, homeschooling was not something that was a, a foreign idea for us. So we, we have 10 children uh, that we homeschool in Southwest Michigan. Our oldest is 19. Our youngest is one year old. We've always homeschooled them, and by God's grace, we always will. And uh, it's it's been a beautiful experience for us. We've really enjoyed it. It's, it's we wouldn't do anything else. Oh, that's great. Well, it's wonderful to hear your story. Well, you have a book uh, on Christian parenting, and mm-hmm. the subtitle of your book is Parenting for Christians. Yes. So, how is your book? different than a secular parenting book? You know, I think one of the things that I notice as I read a lot of books, I I try to buy, you know, and read a a fair amount of parenting books, um, probably most of them from a Christian perspective, but some not. And um, I think one of the things that makes our book distinct, um, even from some of the other Christian books, is that we don't begin with a viewpoint um, of science and reason and rationality and psychology and sociology. Um, We really begin with scripture because we believe that is our foundation. We believe that's our starting point. And um, it's, it's our rule for life and practice. And so uh, that, that for us is the foundation for everything that we do as a family. It's the foundation for the things that we teach and the things that we write and speak about um, we, we really want to find out what God has to say, because while we realize that there is benefit um, in social science, 
Um, we believe that the final authority and really the starting point needs to be the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we start there. That's our premise. And um, we, we don't believe that, um, uh, that there's no merit or there's no benefit to social science um, because God has given us through common grace the ability to study the mind and to learn how people think and how they process and how children learn and how they develop. And so, so there's benefit to that. But, but we start primarily uh, with who is God, who is man, what is the nature of God, what is the nature of man, uh, what is the nature of the child. And we begin there and we, we work out from there. Um, if you begin simply with uh, social science and you don't start with the fear of the Lord, then you can start with faulty premises and build a house on a foundation that's not stable. And so we, we believe that um, having the right foundation, um, you know, we can, we can benefit from uh, social science in the same way that we benefit from medicine and science. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, right. so it's not that it's not that those things are, are absolutely enemies of each other, mm-hmm. but, uh, but just like in science, you know, um, you, you look at the, the evolutionary worldview that begins devoid of special revelation from the scripture. And, um, you know, they, they just draw very different conclusions based on their assumptions. Absolutely. Yes. I am in agreement with you on that. Well, you also talk about gospel-centered parenting. What does that look like? How is it unique? Well, you know, I had a unique uh, opportunity growing up in the context in which I did with my mom being one of the founders of the homeschooling movement back in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And with her uh, publication being such a, a prominent source of information on parenting and family discipleship and all of that, I had a chance to listen to and watch and hear from um, hundreds and hundreds of people who who wrote on family issues. So before I was even married, I heard, I would say, thousands of hours of teaching um, through through books, through magazine articles, through Uh, going to seminars and conferences. My mom spoke at conferences and, you know, I was a, I was a roadie, you know, with, with her out uh, running her book table as a a teenager. And then I actually started keynoting at conferences myself when I was 19. So I've actually been speaking at homeschooling conferences since 1995. So I think that's what, 26 years, something like that, that I've Mm -hmm. personally been speaking at conferences. And so I've known, um, in the homeschooling community in particular, I've known most of the major influencers mm-hmm. um, who have had a message related to parenting and family issues, but then outside of that as well. I mean, I've had a chance to meet a lot of the, the well-known authors in, in just the Christian world mm-hmm. and to get to know them. And, and many of them, I've gotten to know their families and I've seen their family dynamics. I've been in their homes and they've been in my home and you know, I've gotten to know these people. So one of the the things that uh, I observed was that there were families who, there were experts, let's put it that way, who promoted ideals. But I noticed that sometimes there's a massive disconnect between the ideals that they promoted and how that worked out in their own family dynamic. And I noticed that in some cases, I think the disconnect was bad teaching um, that they their teaching while it sounded good on the surface it had subtle flaws in it 
-hmm. And sometimes those flaws are like cracks in a foundation. And over time, they can't sustain the weight of a house and the whole thing collapses and falls in. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it was bad teaching. Other times it was bad implementation. So maybe they talked the right ideals and presented the right precepts and concepts, but they didn't walk them out uh, in their own experience. Mm -hmm. And of course, hypocrisy is one of the greatest ways to lose your children's respect. But one of the things that I noticed in the 80s and 90s in particular um, within the conservative Christian movement and within the homeschooling movement was a strong emphasis on teaching character. And I, I noticed that is still an element within the Christian homeschooling community, and I get it, and I have taught on it myself, but the older that I get and the further down the road I get of, of parenting myself, I actually think that most of the character teaching that was done in the 80s and 90s was hugely detrimental. And uh, that, that sounds maybe surprising, but what, what I believe for the most part was being taught was really a brand of moralism. It was like, here are these you know, 300 or 400 different character traits that your child is supposed to learn and memorize and we're going to have a a chart that we put on the refrigerator (laughs) and your child is going to learn honesty and loyalty and enthusiasm and uh, you know good work ethic and responsibility and whatever whatever right you know just we could put hundreds of things on the chart and this is the standard and this is what you're supposed to attain to and this is what you're supposed to become and character was put out there as being the goal, the thing that we want our child to pursue. And man, that sounds right. I mean, like you think, well, how mm-hmm. could you argue with that? Or how could you have a problem with that? that? That has to be correct, right? But the thing that I noticed was, I'll just give you one example. Uh, I had a friend that I grew up with in the homeschool world, and he and I used to speak at conferences together uh, in our teens and 20s. And you know, raised in a Christian home and his parents are involved in the homeschooling movement as, as mine were. And so I remember talking to him one day and him saying, you know, Israel, I just can't do this anymore. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I just can't do it anymore. He said, this Christianity thing just isn't working for me. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? It's not working for you. And he said, well, I have tried to be a Christian and I have tried to do what's right. And I've tried to live the right kind of life. And I just can't. And it's not working for me. And shortly after that, um, he kind of publicly chucked Christianity out the Mm. window. And Mm. he's currently living in a homosexual marriage with another man. And uh, and, and not to disparage this Mm -hmm. young man. I, I feel like he was really sincere in many ways. But, but what occurred to me later as I thought back on that exchange and, you know, just my time knowing him and all that, I don't know that, I mean, I'm going to just go out on a limb because we can't judge people's hearts, right? So we don't know I'm not God. But I don't think this young man ever um, was really born again. And to my knowledge, never made any profession of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder how many times do we have young people living in our homes 
who have never been born again, who have never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who have never experienced new life in Christ, who are trying to live the Christian life as a heathen. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to live the Christian life in the strength of their flesh Mm -hmm. apart from Christ. Mm -hmm. How well does that work? How well does it work for you to try to live a life um, that would be reflected by the fruit of the Spirit, for example, when you're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like as I've observed hundreds of homeschool graduates who have kind of jumped off the Christian bandwagon, I almost think that's been a factor. It's not the only factor, but I think it's been a significant factor is that so many parents have tried to promote being good um, more than they have really tried to introduce their children to Christ. And even in terms of discipline, you know, I remember when I was young, and this is just probably the accumulation of too many, uh, too many homeschooling seminars that I had to sit through uh, and just, you know, getting what was sounded like good information but with bad information. But I would tell my children, now, son, you just hit your brother. Uh, you need to stop doing that. So stop hitting your brother and be nice. Um, stop doing this bad thing and be good. And I found myself parenting that way. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I caught myself fairly early on and, and asked myself, is that really what their need is? Is their need really that they need to stop doing bad things and start doing good things? And I think Ravi Zacharias put it well when he said, that Christ did not die on the cross to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we've, where we've erred, one of the places we've erred as a Christian community is trying so hard to emphasize good behavior apart from Christ. I remember when a very popular homeschool leader who had a, a prominent character curriculum character program uh was bragging about the fact that they had gotten their character program into the public schools (laughs) and he said basically all we had to do is take out jesus in the bible (laughs) well what is the source for character right right source for character um ultimately is god himself and if you take away the source of character what do you have left Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians 5, you know, it just describes what the Spirit is like, what the Holy Spirit is like. And so when we have, have cut off uh, the source of, of, of holiness, um, what you have left is you just have moralism. Uh, I remember in World Magazine some years ago when Phil Vischer, the creator, creator of VeggieTales, was interviewed, he said, I really regret ever making veggie tales he said if you look through veggie tales he said go, go through the whole history of veggie tales and try to find jesus in veggie tales mm-hmm. he said jesus wasn't in veggie tales he said jesus or he said veggie tales was about being good but it was about this this is his quote he said veggie tales was about moralism without christ and he said i regret having ever made veggie tales he said mm-hmm. i think it was a colossal mistake and i wish i had never done it now that's not my assessment of veggie tales that's Phil mm-hmm. Vesher, who created VeggieTales, what he said mm-hmm. about his own product in World Magazine. Right. But, but I think he's on to something there because I, I think we really have um, in the Christian community overemphasized this aspect of, of being good and doing good over 
really having a relationship with Christ. And so my perspective has changed now that when I'm disciplining my children, I no longer want to say to them, you need to stop doing this bad thing and start doing this good thing. What I want to say to them is, okay, you just hit your brother without cause. What does that show us about what's going on inside of you? What does that, what does that tell you about what, about what's happening in your heart? Were you loving your brother more than you were loving yourself? Well, you weren't. And why is that? The reason for that is that we're all born selfish. We're born loving ourselves and putting ourselves first. And the scripture gives us an explanation for that. And, you know, take them through Adam. You know, that, in fact, if you remember, wasn't it the, uh, the Blueback Speller or McGuffey Reader? I can't remember which one of those books it was. The early colonial readers uh, that asked the question or, you know, in the alphabet, in Adam's fall, we send all. You know, that's mm-hmm. what they started with A, right? The very first premise that they would read in the, mm-hmm. I think it's the Blue, no, Webster's Blueback Speller. Um, in Adam's fall, we send all. And so taking them back to, and this is why we need Jesus. You know, the fact is you're not good and I'm not good. And we can't be good mm-hmm. uh, apart from Jesus. We need mm-hmm. Jesus. And so mm-hmm. can you see how this sin uh, reveals your need for Jesus. And so I just want to constantly for myself and for my child to use those teaching moments, not as an opportunity to say, stop doing this bad thing and stop doing this bad behavior um, to to start saying, can you see how much you need Jesus? And and the same thing for myself, you know, I want to be aware of how much I need Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that there's just a tendency to, to train our children toward behaviorism and to train our child in the same way we might train a dog. Um, and it works. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know that. You've studied this. I do. This. Yeah. Um, those techniques work. And when parents find out that those techniques work, they latch onto them because they find out that you can train a child in the same way that you can train a dog, and they will sit when you tell them to sit, and they will jump when you tell them to jump mm-hmm. until they won't. Mm-hmm. You know, until they're 16, <laughs> 18 years old, yeah. and then all bets are off. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because you never really reached their heart. So mm-hmm. I'm giving a long-winded answer there, but, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's just been a journey for me as I've thought mm-hmm. through this and as I've, I've grown and matured in my own thinking on it. I, I just think we've erred significantly, and I'm really hoping we can remedy that and, and just constantly point our children to Christ. That's their need, mm-hmm. uh, because if you have Christ— if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, the Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truth. And the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. reminds us of the words of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit constantly is sanctifying us and changing us. The behavior is going to come from the inside out. And so what I want my children to do is I really want them to have the life of Christ in them mm-hmm. because the Holy Spirit can do a work in changing their heart that I can never do. Mm-hmm. I can't change their heart. Right. I can change their behavior for a while mm-hmm. until I can't. <laughs> Um, right. I, I really can never change their heart, but Jesus can. And so mm-hmm. I want to point them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have been through a similar journey, mm. not just in my parenting, but in my own mm-hmm. life and struggles. Yes. Because for decades, I tried to address a problem with anger Yeah. that I had. Okay. So... Yeah. I am memorizing scriptures and I'm reading every book and attending every talk that I can on this topic and, um, you know, helping to, um, 
you know, work with other parents on it. You know, so I'm, sure. I'm leading it and trying to teach sure. it. Sure. And the amazing thing is, is that at one point, I don't know, maybe how many, how many years ago this was now, but not, not that many, um, that I just realized I don't have a problem with it anymore. I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. And I know, at least I think I know exactly why it happened that way. Yeah. Because I was trying to make this change in my own strength. Sure. With my human ability. Sure. So that I could say, well, Israel, if you have a problem with anger, here's what you need to do. Absolutely. Here's my recipe for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And now I don't, I have no way of, you know, I can point and I do talk with people about anger I have on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can say, you know, these things are all good to do. Memorizing scripture, um, you know, making sure that you get enough sleep <laughs> and you're having appropriate self-care, appropriate self-care so that you're not just, you know, blowing yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having appropriate discipline, which we'll talk about in a second, but none of those things gave me victory over the anger that was in my heart. And it was only the power of the Holy spirit that did that in me in a way that I cannot share with other people. I can only say Jesus did it for me. Praise God. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, and, and I have um, sought to communicate that to my children, especially Mm -hmm. in the, the latter years of my parenting, I know I began by, you know, be good, be good. And, Mm -hmm. you know, don't be bad. And we'll memorize some scriptures about this. Um, And as I went on, I would just say, you can't do it. You cannot do it. And, you know, the only other thing that um, I would add to what you said about, um, you know, there are absolutely, there are our children who are not, believers they're not um you know they're not saved and so then of course they're trying to be good in the power of the flesh but i also have come to believe that many of our children are saved and they are behaving like unbelieving believers well they're trying to they're trying to live the christian life in the flesh right exactly galatians is all about that right 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 yeah and, and i've done that Yes, me too. <laughs> I've done that as a Christian. I've yes, tried to exactly. Christian life in the flesh. Right. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. that's what I am wanting always to, yes. you know, to communicate to my children and, and to other believers that I am ministering to that, you know, when we find ourselves doing that mm. and we're operating in the flesh and thinking that we can overcome the yes. flesh and our own strength. Right. Then we we just repent of it and we say, oh, you know, I'm doing it again. Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking I can raise this dead flesh yes. um, to life, which I can't. Yes. And so all I have to do other than that is to believe again that Jesus has the power to do that in me. That's right. Turn to yeah. Jesus. Yes. Jesus. Yes. Exactly. So hallelujah. I'm, gr- I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Yes. Um, well, I was going to say my wife, I think, is going to be joining you on a future podcast yes. soon, uh, to talk about our book, Pitching a Fit, Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting. And we really talk about that in that book because uh, and we, when I talk about this at conferences, I say to people, you know, you've just heard us talk for an hour on overcoming anger. 
And if you think, okay, the solution is I'm going to go home, I'm going to try harder, mind over matter, I'm going to double down on this, and I'm just grit and determination, I'm not going to yell, I'm going to be nice, I'm going to use my inside voice, you know, whatever. Uh (laughs) And uh, I'm not going to be mean anymore. And, you know, I I said, you'll fail in the same way you did every other time. Because the way that you overcome any habit or habitual sin or addiction or anything is never by trying hard to overcome it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's so counterintuitive to say Mm -hmm. never overcome anger by trying really hard to overcome anger, but you won't. Um, It only leads to frustration. Yes. In Galatians, you know, in Galatians 5, where it talks about the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh, most of us know that passage. Mm -hmm. There's a a little verse that's stuck in there that I think is uh, verse 17 in Galatians 5 where it says, if you walk according to the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the real key there is to learn what does it mean to walk in the spirit? Mm -hmm. And that's the parallel passage of that, I think, is what Jesus talks about in John 15, where he says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. This is to my father's glory. And he talks about how if you're a branch that's apart from me, if you're cut off from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear any fruit. Mm-hmm. And, and you think about that branch that's attached to the vine. The reason that it produces fruit, Galatians 5, fruit of the spirit fruit, is not because it tries hard to. It's because it's attached <laughs> to the vine. And the life right. of the vine flows into that branch, and it can't help but produce fruit. Mm-hmm. And if you're cut off from the life of the spirit, you, you just can't produce the, the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people say, well, what does that mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean to walk in the spirit? Well, you know, it, it's funny, but those things are Christianity 101. Mm-hmm. And I hardly ever hear them talked about in churches. Um, yes. I hear a lot of kind of self-help and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I just, I, I hear very little about, about discipleship. And that really is how we overcome these besetting sins in our life. It's through maturity. Mm-hmm. And it's through just drawing deeply uh, in the things of the Lord and, and having our minds renewed to where we are just soaked in and we're saturated in the, the, the thinking and the life of Christ mm-hmm. uh, in the scriptures mm-hmm. to where, you know, it's like they, they say, if you're... Uh, you know, if you have a, a cup or a, a vase or something and it gets bumped, whatever's inside of it comes out. And when we're full of self and we're just full of us and we get bumped, like that comes out and it's ugly and it's nasty. And there's just nothing good in any of us. Paul says that in my flesh, there goes no good thing. There's just nothing good in any of us that we have to give to anybody. Mm-hmm. And yet we, we live our lives spiritually depleted, empty, um, just going day after day without drawing from the scripture, without spending time with the Lord, um, without having our minds renewed, and we soak up and saturate hours and hours and hours, thousands of hours of pop culture mm-hmm. and movies and secular music. And I'm not trying to be a legalist, right? That's right, my right. Point. Mm-hmm. My point is, you know, when you watch this thousands of hours of movies that have profanity and violence and anger and all of that and you get bumped man that comes out mm-hmm. and so I, I think for parents they've got to learn that as they're trying to teach their children whatever it is that you're trying to get your children to get a hold of you have to get a hold of it first mm-hmm. and it's that whole Luke 6 
46 principle, I think it is, where Jesus said a student's not above his teacher, but when a student is fully trained, it'll be like his teacher. And so if we want our children to live that Christ life and to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, the best way to do that is by example, by us living it, by us mm-hmm. doing it, instead of just telling them what they should do. Um, but that means we've got to draw deeply from the things of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Israel, I don't want to end my conversation with you before we talk about discipline, because mm. it's so vital mm. to our parenting role. And I think it it flows from what we've just been discussing. Right. Um, so what are some effective discipline strategies for young children? Let's start there. Sure. Well, I think part of that is just recognizing um, the roles mm-hmm. because I sometimes tell parents it's, it's, it's like this. There's a two-year-old and there's an adult in the room, okay? Just don't get confused as to which one is which. <laughs> It'll solve a lot of problems right there. I, I see. So, so what it is is that when we first have children, people don't like this word, and I don't. Maybe I'll come up with a better one at a certain point. But when our child is is born, um, we really do parent, and we should parent from a standpoint of control. People go, "Oh, that's a terrible word. You should never use that word." I don't know. Maybe there's a better one out there somewhere. But, but like that child has no control over their life at all. Mm-hmm. Like that baby uh, in a crib, they can't change their diaper. They can't get up. They can't feed themselves. You control their whole life mm-hmm. um, because you have to, right? And so you don't parent that infant with influence. You don't parent them with with reason, with with love and logic, right? You parent that <laughs> child right. with control. Um, you, you tell them, you know, hey, it's time for you to be fed and it's time for your diaper to get changed and it's time for you to change your clothes now and you, you, you control their life. The, the problem is that has to change. And so by the time they're 18, 20 years old, um, you're, you're looking at 0% control. So you have 100% control when they're born. <laughs> Uh, but what you want to do is you want to transition between birth and 18 years old, give or take. You want to transition from control to influence. And so I talk about that in the, in the new book, um, Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. I talk about what that looks like, that transition from control to influence. Um, I see parents who try to operate with their 16-year-old with 100% control that's a recipe for disaster. And I see people trying to operate with their two-year-old with 100% influence. And that's a recipe for disaster as well. And so I think that's one thing is just realizing the, the transitional phase between control and influence. And then realizing that children need predictable boundaries, they need predictable consequences, and they need absolutely consistent follow-through with the consequences once the child has crossed a known barrier so I talk about other things like how important it is that the child has been taught uh, what's expected of them and that you walk through them how to do something you know if you've given them an instruction you have to train them in knowing how to do it mm-hmm. uh, I remember one time I just real quick I had a five-year-old and uh, I told him uh, go to your room and make your bed and I'll come in in a minute and inspect it and so I walk in the room and I see this blanket on the floor and there's one corner of the blanket that is up on the bed. There's about probably 18 inches of one quarter of the blanket that's on the bed, and the whole rest of the blanket is on the floor. And, and th- this is when I was younger in my parenting. I got mad. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, this child is defying me. 
And so my response immediately was to think, oh, I need to scold the child or I need to discipline the child. Thankfully, I took a deep breath and had enough common sense to ask myself the question, does this child actually know what is required of them? And so I asked him, I said, do you know how to make a bed? And he said, no. And I said, has anyone ever shown you how to make a bed? And he said, no. And I said, I actually know that I've taught you how to make a bed. He said, no, you haven't. And I, re- I said, you remember two years ago? Oh, no, wait, that was your older brother. <laughs> okay, no, I guess I haven't taught you how to make a bed. And so I realized I was expecting something of him mm-hmm. that he had never been taught how to do mm-hmm. adequately. So that was on me, right? Mm-hmm. So thankfully, I didn't scold him. Thankfully, I didn't yell at him. I didn't get mm-hmm. mad. You know, I didn't, mm-hmm. I, internally, I was upset for a minute until I realized it was actually my fault. And I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to teach you how to make a bed. Um, so, but once a child knows what's expected of them and they've been trained in how to do something and, uh, I always, when I give my child an instruction, I have them look me in the eyes, repeat back to me what I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then they're responsible. They're culpable for what they do because then they can't say I didn't hear you and they can't say I didn't understand. And so, um, giving them instruction, making sure that they repeat the instruction and that they understand the instruction, they know what's required of them, they have the capacity to do it because they've been trained how to do it. And then if they, you know, and then having a, a preset or pre-assigned discipline, if they don't follow through with it, I think is important too. just, or, or, or maybe a better way to put that is just children don't thrive on chaos and randomness. So just mm-hmm. having a ballpark general idea of what to expect, I think, is really helpful for children, mm-hmm. not just um, er- er- erratic parenting where anything could happen at any minute that the parent is on. <laughs> right. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I want parents to know that I am not perfect. You know, I have a background in psychology and I worked with parents to train them in how to discipline their children, but that doesn't mean that I am perfect. And yet my children have thus far emerged (laughs) sane and well. (laughs) So we can make mistakes and that is absolutely okay. You know, God's grace covers that. But what we don't want to do, and I think you're speaking to, is we don't want it we don't want to just be laissez-faire every single time because it just communicates to children. And this is a big thing that I'm, um, I'm just constantly talking about is that it tells our kids that we don't love them. If we aren't willing to, you know, take the time and the emotional energy to discipline. And remember, just as you were talking about a bit earlier, that it is discipling. It is teaching. Fundamentally, that's what discipline is. It's not, right. you know, meeting out punishments. Absolutely. It's teaching. It's Absolutely. teaching. So Absolutely. it's so so important for homeschooling parents. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mentioned that in my book, that our goal okay. is to punish our child. Our goal is that we want to teach them. We want mm-hmm. to help them to learn how to govern themselves. Yes. You know, because we, we can't do that for them their whole life. Mm-hmm. So we have to teach them how to say no to themselves which is really hard for them mm-hmm. and how to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And, um, and, and so obviously in parenting, um, the more predictable and the more consistent we are, the better. I've found that if children get away with something one time out of 10, there's enough payoff for them to keep doing the bad behavior. 
I don't know why that is. Uh, that seems extremely <laughs> irrational that like a 90% failure rate is okay with them. <laughs> who, who does that, right? <laughs> but, but I found, especially with younger children, they just know, hey, every once in a while, mom's too busy, she's too tired, uh, or dad's, you know, just not paying attention, and I'll get away with it. Mm-hmm. And it's where you got to kind of close up those gaps. And mm-hmm. well, a couple of things I tell parents is, is when you find yourself yelling, uh, or when you find yourself repeating yourself a lot, like you're saying, for the fifth time, I get off the couch, whatever. <laughs> right. You're yelling or, or you're saying for the fifth time, that yeah. is a good indication to you that you aren't valuing your own words and you're not going to discipline. You're not, dis- you're not uh, disciplining, you're mm-hmm. just yelling and repeating. And you don't have to yell and repeat. Um, you have to, when the child knows what's expected of them and they are defiant uh, and they've been instructed they need to be disciplined. Mm -hmm. And if you're more consistent with the discipline, you'll find that you don't have to utilize all the histrionics and all the Mm -hmm. drama. You don't need the drama. You can discipline and usually will resolve the issue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, the last thing that I want to um, then move on from that topic to Mm -hmm. discuss is, you know, you mentioned that we have to make adjustments in our parenting style as our children enter the teen years, you know, they're becoming young adults. So what specifically are you changing in your parenting approach with your older children? Right. Well, right now our our oldest is 19. He's been working full time um, outside the home for probably a year and a half. I think he was 17, you know, almost 18 when he, when he got uh, a job. And so, I'll just be honest. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, great. <laughs> back in a few years, and I'll have some really good advice there. Um, <laughs> what we're trying to do uh, is we're trying to say, you know, and as much as you act like an adult, we'll treat you like an adult. And uh, we're pretty blessed that so far he's made pretty good decisions and mm-hmm. feels, you know, handles himself responsibly. Mm-hmm. And so I don't govern his life. You know, I don't give him a curfew. I don't. You know, I don't tell him what to do. I don't tell him how to spend his money. Mm-hmm. Um, what What I want to do is I want to be able to have influence, and and this is, uh, qu- you know, quickly what I think the yeah. two major factors are in influence is number one time, and number two affirmation. Um, I tell my wife I, I feel like the way I view it in my own mind is that I have this uh, account, this influence account, and I've made a lot of deposits in it through spending time and, and giving a lot of affirmation. And so every time that you spend huge blocks of time with your child and you are affirming them, it, it adds, it adds uh, credit to your, affirm, to your influence account. And so, you know, I, I sometimes say whoever spends the most time with your child and affirms them the most wins. <laughs> a little oversimplified, a little oversimplified, but, but not much. Not I, much. Honestly, that's generally true, not universally true, yeah. not universally absolute, but generally true. Whoever spends the most time with your child and affirms them the most will have the most influence. And I want that to be me, right? So that's why we homeschool. And I want to make sure I'm affirming my children more than anybody else in their life. And so like with my 19 year old, I have, I feel a fair amount of influence in his life because I put the time in. And I've invested in him and he knows that I care about him and he knows that I actually want what's best for him, not what's best for me. And so there are times where um, there, I, I have to play that influence card, like I have to make a withdrawal 
Um, but I do that super sparingly because I know I have a limited number of influence dollars. And if <laughs> I just drain that account, then I'm done. Right. So I have to pick my battles. and have to be really careful. I don't do it on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just give you one example. And, and, and Ben, if you're watching this, uh, you know, <laughs> shouldn't have been born to a dad who's an author and speaker. You just should have thought that. Because <laughs> uh, you know I'm going to tell all your stories. But <laughs> my wife was doing laundry. And the shirt came through the laundry. And it was very bright and lots of colors. And I'll just be honest, it's ugly as sin. <laughs> and uh, my wife said, ooh, shirt is that? Like, what is that? And, and uh, it, was, it was ugly. And she said, you can't let your son go out in public being seen like that. She said, I, I bet you anything Ben bought that. And I said, uh, probably. But uh, she goes, well, you're going to talk to him about that, right? I said, no. And she said, you're not? Like, you want your son to be seen in public? I said, no, I do not ever want my son to be seen in ever wearing that shirt. She's like, well, you're going to say something to him, right? And I said, no. And, and she said, why not? I said, the thing is, I do not want to, I don't want to take a withdrawal in my influence account for that. Mm-hmm. right because that's not that big of a deal and right. he'll figure it out like somebody yeah. will say something like, dude what's up with the shirt <laughs> and so that problem will solve itself um but i'm not going to address that because there may be something really significant mm. that i need to address at a point right. and i got to save that influence that account so so there probably will be times where i'll have to say you know what um you're 19 years old Mm-hmm. And I am not your boss. I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, I'm not your parent in the same way, but mm-hmm. I care about you and I want what's best for you. And I'm going to ask you, would you not make that decision? Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you what to do. It's your life. It's your mm-hmm. choice. You can make mm-hmm. the decision that you want to make. I just don't think it's wise and I don't think it's best. And I'm asking you as your dad, would you, would you please not make that decision? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think at this point, I think he would not make that decision just simply because I asked him not to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't have that kind of relationship. And so that's kind of where I'm going with it. I, yeah. don't, I don't have it all figured out, but that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm working on right now. All right. All right. Well, very good. Well, I love that kind of formula that you presented there because I see that um, being true in a marriage relationship too. Mm -hmm. If your spouse is spending more time with another person and getting more affirmation from that person than from you, you're in trouble. It's so so true. It's so powerful. We have a whole chapter in raising them up, um, parenting for Christians on uh, affirmation. And um, so it's something that we, we think is really important. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So the book is, tell me, the name of the book called raising them up parenting for Christians. You can get it on our website, which is familyrenewal.org. Um, you can get it anywhere that they sell Christian books, but we would request if possible, you order it from us. Uh, people don't know this. And, and I guess authors aren't allowed to say these things. I don't know why I'm the only person who does, but like if you order my book on Amazon, I make like 65 cents. So I just make <laughs> almost nothing buy it on Amazon. So if you order it from my website, I make like four or five dollars. So I don't know why authors don't tell people about money. It's some taboo thing. Like we can't tell yeah. people what we make. Uh, but that's kind of the financial breakdown for me. So if it's all the same to you, if you could order it from my website, I would really appreciate that. So again, it's familyrenewal.org, uh, Raising Them Up Parenting for Christians. And uh, check out our other resources too. I've got 
a couple homeschooling books, um, some Bible studies. We have a lot of resources for the family, a lot of audio stuff. So we'd encourage you to check out our website. Okay, wonderful. And how about a podcast? Yes, and we have a podcast on the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. <laughs> it's called Family Renewal. And we would love for you to subscribe to that and listen to our podcast. Um, my wife, Brooke, joins me with that. And I'm really glad she does because that's the only reason people listen to it. <laughs> so, so, it's, it's really fun being married because like, I actually get invited to the cool parties and stuff. Because people actually like Brooke. They tolerate me, but they like her. And so they're like, oh, this really Okay, Brooke, Brooke's coming? Okay, all right, I guess. Go ahead and invite him. So that's, that's good. <laughs> well, I am looking forward to having Brooke on the podcast as well, as you mentioned. But this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing um, the wisdom that you did. And I hope that my listeners will go to your website, familyrenewal.org, and check out everything that you have created to help them in their parenting journey. So thank you so much. Ah, and thank you for what you do. It's just such a need for uh, good resources for the family. And I hear good reports of people who have uh, plugged into your resources as well. So we appreciate what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Thank you. To find the show notes that include Israel's website, go to homeschoolsanity.com slash Christian parenting. Join me next week as we discuss the best audiobooks for kids and families now. Have a happy homeschool week. Thank you for joining me. Happy, healthy homeschooling can be yours. It begins with one small step. Let's continue the conversation on social media. I'm at Psycho with Six. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.